All right, Team Pella, listen up. Thanks, Jan Kuhn. Customers love our products with limited lifetime warranties. Check out these big plays. Incredible innovations like blinds and shades between the glass. No interference on that play, Coach. And stylish windows with hidden screens that make game days a breeze. Can it get any better? It can. With monthly payments as low as $19 per window, $75 per patio door, and a free quote at PellaWI.com. Let's go. 6.99 APR for 120 months. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. A little bit late getting started today, but that is in keeping with the way my week has been going. And it's kind of like the capstone to this. You ever have those weeks where you really are, you know, they say the TGIF, I I am, thank goodness it's Friday. Just thank goodness it's Friday. Uh, (laughs) And again, the the way the week has not gone well, the way the day starts off is, as a matter of fact, if you want to see like behind the scenes for how we do the radio shows, um, you can watch us. We live stream. You can go to WTMJ.com, click the watch live button, or alternatively go to YouTube. We've got our own YouTube channel, just WTMJ, put it in, and then you can click the watch live. But um, so I wake up this morning and it's it's been a really long week and well beyond the, the brewer's loss and things like that. But I, I wake up this morning and about five or five thirty in the morning, I'm getting ready to do the prep work and all. And I, I go into the living room and I see that the, the Internet connection with our, our furnace is is off. OK, what's this? And then I see the Internet's not working. And then I see that the um, entire that there's no cable television. And it's like, OK. And this is I mean, it, it happened a couple months ago. I told the story about how our, our lawn service had cut the cable that, that comes from the box that is outside that goes into the house. Well, this is there, there's something wrong between the box and the connection. Turns out the people that live next door to us, we we share a wall with them. Um, theirs is out as well. So it's like, OK. It would normally be an annoyance, but when you use the Internet to work, it's like, okay, this isn't going to get done. So we've been doing this old school, had to come into work really early. And typically what happens, and if you're if you're watching on on our YouTube channel, I mean, typically I will walk in with a stack of papers like, like this, and I will kind of like move through the papers. Well, wasn't able to print anything today, so I come into work, and we are old school. This is the way we did, you know, talk radio back when I started in the mid-1990s. Got the sheet of paper with my notes. So if you're watching us, this this is what the show looks like, and this is what the rundown is. It's right there. It's the handwritten notes to talk about different stuff. And the uh, folks at Spectrum Cable say that they're going to be able to come out, hopefully right about now, and get the whole thing fixed. But it really does show how much you depend on, on the Internet. And, and yes, I mean, you can still get access to things on your phone and stuff like that. But it, it's not the same as being able to pull up stuff on your laptop or on your desktop computer. And the fact that you don't have TV, my goodness, don't have TV and you can't stream stuff. How are we going to be entertained? <clears throat> like I say, hopefully they will have it figured out by the time I get home. This um, it has also been a difficult week. And I, I want to I just want to start off with kind of a personal sort of note, because typically I mean, one of the decisions I made my start of the show is I was going to years ago is I was going to share aspects of my life as to how they like tie into some of <clears throat> perhaps these larger topics that are out there. I mean, nobody cares if you went out to dinner last night, but if you went out to dinner last night and you saw some real interesting experience that leads to a topic, it, it may be interesting. I have 
lost two very close friends this week. Um, my, my first friend who passed away, her name was Margot Griesbach, and um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, I don't think she would mind. She was in her early 60s. Um, her and her husband, Dan, great people. They've been, they've been friends of ours for a, quite a while. And it's one of those things. You ever hear the, the say, saying that, um, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans? Well, this was one of these things. Uh, about a year and a half ago or so, Dan was getting ready to retire, and they had all these plans for what they were going to do. And I think in like February or so of last year, 2022, they're they're out in they're out in Arizona, and she starts feeling poorly, and she gets diagnosed with what turned out to be term this really aggressive form of brain cancer, just out of the the clear blue. And doctors said that she had you know X amount of time to live, and she lived a year and a half, and we got a chance to spend time with her and stuff. But she passed away this week, and just Margot. Margot was like the character that Mary Tyler Moore played on the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show. I mean, just I don't know how Mary Tyler Moore was in real life, but Margot was like that character. She just lit up rooms when she walked in. And um, it's it's been a long battle. And she was courageous with that. And she passed away earlier this week. So that, that's been, you know, a difficult sort of thing. And again, it's, they, they had all these plans and it's like all of a sudden, boom, that these plans are upended, which is one of the reasons, you know, why, you know, I, I always, John Lennon, you have, of all places, I don't think he necessarily originated, but he was one of these say, life is what happens when you're making plans. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, people make all these different plans, and, and maybe what you need to do is kind of concentrate on, on living your life. So last evening, yesterday afternoon, I, I get home, and um, my wife says, I didn't want to text you this, but our, our very dear friend, um, Mark Brickman, had passed away. If you follow me on Twitter, I, I've got a link to Mark's obituary. Um, Mark Brickman was a giant in the Milwaukee community and a dear friend of mine for several years. Um, I learned more from Mark about events in life than I can ever recount. In some ways, over the last five or six or seven years, he was almost sort of like a surrogate father to me. Um, and my life is richer and fuller because he spent time with me. I, I've got a link to his obituary. And Mark, you, you want to talk about a guy who did everything and, and knew, knew everybody. I mean, Mark, Mark was at the University of Wisconsin, Madison, um, and he was in a fraternity house with people like Herb Cole and, and Bud Selig, and he was in the military after the Korean War, and he came back to Milwaukee. And what he did is he, he went to work um, in commercial real estate with the Polachek Company, and he ended up being the president of that. But Mark Mark was my go-to source on real estate. He, the stories he could tell were great. He was instrumental in the development of Mayfair Mall which was Milwaukee's first shopping center. And what Mark's job, Mark's job was when they were building the mall, his job was to go out and find stores that would move into the mall. And that's what he did. It was, if, if you remember back in the day at Mayfair Mall, they used to have an indoor skating rink that was overlooked by McDonald's. There was a McDonald's that was in Mayfair Mall. It was Mark's idea for the McDonald's windows to overlook the indoor ice rink. That was, that was him. Um, I've told this story before. I don't think I've ever um, I ever identified him, but Mark knew Baskin and Robbins. And I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it again just just one final time. See, Baskin and Robbins, you know, thirty one flavors. All right, these Baskin and Robbins. There were two guys named Baskin and Robbins, and they they were brothers in law that ran a couple ice cream parlors in in Southern California. 
So in the early 1960s, they decided that they wanted to expand nationwide. So they did this this survey. They did like a national survey. And you want to guess where they found the highest per capita consumption of ice cream was in the country outside of Southern California. You got three guesses. First two don't count. Milwaukee. <laughs> so they decided they were going to come to Milwaukee to bring 31 flavors to Milwaukee. And and this neighbor, this area, this city was the first. They weren't the oldest 31 flavors because it started in Southern California. But when they expanded outside of California, Milwaukee was the first market that they moved into. And, and they they contacted Mark and Mark would tell these stories about how they were driving around like Shorewood and Fox Point, looking for possible locations to put these ice cream parlors in. And, you know, they were actually, you know, he said that he was got the chance to participate when they were, like, trying out and testing, like, names for different flavors and stuff. The first 31 flavors outside of Southern California was in o- on Oakland Avenue, right by where, where the Benz- Benji's Delicatessen is. Okay, it's not there anymore. The second or third oldest Baskin and Robbins 31 Flavors location is still there. It's in Fox Point or Bayside. I guess it's Bayside. Um, right in this little strip shopping center on Port Washington Road and Brown Deer Road. It's been there since like 1962. It's still there. And that's like I say, the second or third oldest 31 flavors outside of outside of the cunt, outside of Southern California. It's still operated. I mean, and, and I used to love, we'd go out to dinner and, um, it was my wife and, and Mark's wife, Cheryl, they, they'd kind of put us at the end of the table, you know, because they, my friend always used to say, I was always interviewing Mark because he had these great stories about, and I was just fascinated. He was responsible for nearly every commercial property between 68th and 88th on Brown Deer Road when Northridge was, was thriving and all sorts of other developments as well. On top of that, Mark was an avid philanthropist. Um, he, he made over 50 trips to Israel. He was deeply involved with the Milwaukee Jewish community. And my friendship with Mark led me to a, a much deeper understanding of the, the Jewish experience in Wisconsin and in this country. And I just, one of my big regrets is we always talked about going to Israel together and we were never able to do it. Um, he was, and he was just a great golfer, <laughs> just just a, a great golfer with stories of how, you know, he played golf with Ben Hogan and things like that. I'm just telling you, he was just an absolutely great man. And he had, you know, he, he lived, I think he was like 89 years old. I'd have to look exactly. But, but you know, he, he was in really good health until about a year or two years ago. And, and they started to have a series of health problems. But I'm, I'm so very glad that this summer, you know, we had a couple opportunities, even, you know, when he wasn't up to going out to restaurants and stuff. We went over to his house and sat out on the patio and uh, just had a chance to talk. So it's it's been a kind of tough week. And I guess my, my takeaway for this, the reason I start the program is, there are undoubtedly people in in your life that have made your life richer and fuller. And I think sometimes in the crush of everyday business, we we just and, and all the stuff that we have to do, you know, getting the kids to the baseball games and, you know, the, the pressures of the job and stuff like that and running around. There are times that I think we just sometimes just fail to appreciate those special people who have come into our lives and then suddenly they're not there anymore. So I've kind of been going through that this week as, as you lose these people that you just absolutely loved in so many respects. So that's kind of I, the, the message of this first segment is 
Um, again, enjoy life and those people that are important to you. Take, take some, take some time and let them, let them know that. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad in the case of both these people I talked to, we got to, a chance to spend some time with them this summer and maybe not as much time as I, I would have preferred, but you know, life is short. You never know what is exactly going to happen to, so to my friend Mark, my friend Margo, you know, sail on. My life, like I say, much, much richer, much, much fuller because they were in it. All right. When we come back. Let's give you some potential breaking news. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. I will tell you how I'm going to spend early evening today. Um, my, my friend Mark, his his pour of choice, he liked he liked scotch, McCallum 12. And so we always, we always in my liquor cabinet, we always had a bottle of McCallum 12 there in case that, you know, in case Mark would, would stop by. And I, I'm not a scotch drinker. It's It's to me... It is an acquired taste, and um, I, I've 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 acquired tastes for all sorts of stuff. I mean, martinis are acquired tastes. I I, I acquired the taste for martinis, not off, but I, I can drink martinis. And um, scotch is one of the acquired tastes that I, I just never really developed. So I'm not a scotch drinker, which isn't to say that if you give me a glass of good scotch, I'm going to turn I'm going to turn my nose up on it. But you know, it's it's not it is not my drink of of choice. But um, We've got a bottle of uh, T- McCallum 12 that's, that's in the liquor cabinet, and um, I think I think tonight when I get home after the show, I think that's that's what the first cocktail of the evening is going to be as a toast to my friend Mark. You know, we'll, we'll dip into the McCallum 12. If you want to read Mark's obituary, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to that story. Okay, here's some potential breaking news. I, I pass this on with attribution to where it comes from. I have not seen this anywhere else in the media, except it is being reported by Wisconsin Right Now. Wisconsin Right Now is a conservative website that um, actually they they have, they have great ties with the Milwaukee Police Department and with local law enforcement. And in many, many cases, they are hours and sometimes days ahead of stories that later on appear in the local media. I have no independent verification for this, but they broke this story yesterday. And I, I think that there's lots of people in the media that are scurrying around trying to um, verify this. All right, here's the, their exclusive. Again, this comes from Wisconsin right now. I've got a link to their website. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, this is, as far as I know, they are the only website that is reporting this, but they've been dead on on lots of stuff that they have reported. Exclusive, Mark Atanasio family members assaulted outside Hilton Hotel in Milwaukee. Uh, this is what Wisconsin right now reports. Several members of the Mark Atanasio family were, phys- and Mark Atanasio is, of course, the majority owner in the Brewers. Several members of the Mark Atanasio family were physically assaulted outside the Hilton Hotel in Milwaukee Last night, now they broke this yesterday, law enforcement sources have confirmed to Wisconsin Right Now. A Milwaukee police news alert obtained by Wisconsin Right Now through a source identifies the victims as Robert Atanasio, 70, of New York, and Stacy Gonzalez, Gonzalez, 59, of Los Angeles, California. The suspect pushed Mr. Atanasio down on the cement several times and pushed and punched, pushed her in the nose, knocking her to the ground. Both suffered minor injuries. The unidentified suspect's motive is not clear, but he was described as mumbling before the attack. A law enforcement source confirmed to Wisconsin right now that the victims in the incident are family members of Brewer's owner Mark Atanasio. And then they talk about how they've, they've tried to confirm it, and nobody is um, talking about this. Um, they say that, uh, let's see, the incident was listed as physical abuse of an elder person occurred 
at 9.50 p.m. on October 4th, the night of the Brewers' playoff loss. Um, they list witnesses as members of the Atanasio family. Uh, da, da, da. According to the alert, victims and witnesses were standing in front of the Hilton waiting for an Uber when they were approached by the suspect who got close to Lee Atanasio and started mumbling something to her. Lee told him to get back, the alert says. Robert Atanasio then attempted to intervene and was thrown to the cement two or three times, causing pain. Stacy Gonsalves then came out of the vestibule to stop the attack, and the suspect pushes her face, causing injury to the nose and knocking her to the cement. The suspect then fled the scene on foot. Suspect was a stranger to the family members, and they go through his description, and the motive was listed as unknown. So that, that, that's the story that's out there. Like I say, Wisconsin right now is the only one that I found that is reporting this. But my experience with them has been they've got really, really good police sources, and they tend that they tend to be right when they have these different uh, reports. I, I've got a link to this story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And I guess my, my comment, and, and by the way, I, it doesn't sound to me like this was a, a targeted thing. This was just one of the violent, crazy people that we have wandering the streets of Milwaukee who who came up and, and accosted people who were waiting outside a hotel. I don't think there was any targeting that went on here. But th- th- this this is my note to members of the Common Council and the mayor and the police department and the DA's office and the court system, um, it really makes you wonder what's going to happen when the GOP convention arrives next August, when, you know, we have we have all sorts of people who are, you know, in town. And, you know, what's, what are we going to do to make sure that people aren't going to have similar sort of things happen? Again, I don't think that this was any sort of targeting thing. This was just... You know, you, you run into one of the dangerous, crazy people that are roaming the streets of Milwaukee looking to cause trouble or act violently. So I think maybe this is an example. And the good news is it doesn't appear that any of these individuals were seriously injured. But that's, in many respects, that's but for the grace of God when you have some of the folks that are attacking people. So I, I'm, I hope that the mayor and the common council and the police department are going to kind of get together and say, all right, what are we going to do to try to make the streets of, in this case, downtown safe? for people so you can stand outside the Fister or the Hilton or wherever and not worry about being accosted while you're waiting for an Uber. My guess is more people in the mainstream media will work to confirm this story, but Wisconsin right now has it. And if you want to link again, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Back with much more in just a minute. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. You one of the things that, that happens a lot is people get ideas in their mind, and, and then the, nobody thinks about what happens next. So you, you have these dissident Republicans. You have eight of them, the gang of eight, that decides to oust Kevin McCarthy from his speakership. But nobody knows what happens next. That, that It's okay. All right, you've tossed him out. What happens next? And you you have like the House in chaos right now and Republicans nationally looking like a clown car act because nobody has a plan for what's going to come next. OK, who who do you elect next as, as the speaker? How do you get that person elected? How do you get the Republican conference to unanimous, unanimously agree? And then once that person gets elected, what happens all right, when he runs afoul of five or six people, it's just what happens next. Nobody thinks of this. There's a story in the local newspaper, and it dovetails on something we, we've been talking about on this issue over the last couple months. But it's a story, and nobody asks that question, what happens next? 
I mean, here's the headline in the story. Family community take action to close Milwaukee gas station after fatal shooting. Let me read a portion of the story. For Natalie Easter Allen, problems with the gas station at the corner of North Tetonia and West Roosevelt Street began decades ago when ownership changed hands to someone outside the community. It was sometime after that when the staff gradually became rude to customers, she and other residents have said. Panhandlers and drug dealers loitered outside the doors. Inside, shelves were stocked with expensive options, few of them healthy. In recent years, according to police, the gas station became the scene of shootings, robberies, and and batteries. And then, of course, it, it goes on to talk about how this was the situation in August, where one of the security guards you will remember at the gas station, who it turns out was a felon who shouldn't have had a firearm, had a firearm and ended up shooting somebody who was shoplifting. Okay, so... This has, of course, enraged the community, led by the family members whose whose family whose whose person was was killed. All right, so they're they are upset. So they're trying to close this gas station. The story continues in the fight to close Tatonia Gas and Food. Residents have vented frustrations over convenience stores in their neighborhood, who they say are only there to make money without thinking about the community they serve. Our lives are not valued at all in the community that we spend our money in, Easter Allen said at the September meeting of the Common Council. We basically pay their salaries. We make it able for them to have a living off us. We are not even valued as um, human beings. So the, uh, the thing is, okay, we don't like this convenience store that's there because we don't think they have healthy food options and they take our money and we don't think that they're, they're responsive to us. Okay, um, last April... The owner of the gas station needed to renew his licenses, and you know there was there were issues. They, the members of the Common Council had said, "Well, we've got a problem here because we're going to list you at, at, as a nuisance property." Um, apparently, since 2021, there were a couple shootings, two reports of an armed robbery, and three reports of battery uh, at the store. One of those involved store employees assaulting a coworker accused of stealing, but otherwise. These were these were complaints about the, the stores being robbed. All right. So the nuisance designation then required the store to draft a business plan that would prevent um, problems from reoccurring. Like, OK, the, the whole idea being it's your fault that you're being robbed. It's your fault that people are getting beaten up in your parking lot. OK, so what happens is they 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 hired a security guard and as it turns out, what ended up happening is that the security guard who didn't have his background checked, and I think that's a very legitimate criticism, and, you know, he shouldn't have had a gun, he shouldn't have been hired as a security guard, and now he's been charged with, with murder. But um, the, the bottom line is people in the community are trying to close down this particular gas station be, because of this. And they've kind of mobilized, and a common council committee voted four to one to close the gas station down, and now it's going to go in front of the entire common council. So I guess, and I'm reading this story, and it goes on and on and on, you know, talking about how they they think that there's been negligence and lack of consideration. And I'm not defending the hiring of the security guard. And obviously there will be appropriate lawsuits and the security guard, if he's guilty, and it sure seems like he's guilty, will be held accountable. But for everybody who wants to close down this gas station because they don't think the convenience store was responsive to the community or whatever, my question is, what comes next? I mean, what 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 happens? So let's say they're able to pull, they pull the license and close down this location. All right. And it's boarded up. 
So there, there's no longer a convenience store. There's no longer a gas station there. It's now a boarded up vacant property um, on Tetonia and Roosevelt, which, by the way, um, is a I think it would be fair to say that it is a challenged area of the community. By that, I mean, I don't think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are out there who are going to say, oh, this location has now been closed down. Here, what we're going to do is we're going to sweep in, we're going to buy this particular property, and we're going to build a, a brand new spanking, you know, fresh food store. I, I don't see that as happening. My guess is if there was somebody out there that was willing to buy this property and intended to do this, they would have had the opportunity to do this on multiple occasions, and the owner of this place would have been delighted to get out from under the business. So it, it's you close this place down because in many respects, and again, I'm not minimizing the shooting incident, that that the security guard needs to be held accountable, and undoubtedly there will be lawsuits. But my question is, what comes next if on Tuesday the Common Council pulls this license and shutters this gas station and convenience store? What comes next? And is the community really better off having vacant lots that are there? And is it really fair to a business owner to say you're a nuisance property because you've been the subject of armed robberies. You're a nuisance property because, I don't know, the police have made a number of stops of people, you know, in your parking lot or in front of your building. What comes next? If they close this place down without having any sort of plan, is the community better off? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. And I guess I just see this play out over and over again in the city. All right, Northridge. Northridge Shopping Center is, is just a, a vacant pit. And so you have a company that comes along and says, hey, we're going to buy this, and what we're going to do is we're going to turn this into a self-storage facility, and we think there might be some surrounding growth. City of Milwaukee says, no, we don't want a self-service storage facility out there. We don't think that fits in with the plan. So what's the what's the out- ultimate outcome the self-service people say okay fine we're we're going to withdraw our offer there's nothing else out there there's not going to be anything out there for years and years is this community better off if you close the gas station 855-616-1620 we discuss there is also an uncomfortable element of this story and it's the elephant that people don't like to discuss all right this is the way they write it Problems with the gas station at the corner of North Tetonia and West Roosevelt Streets began decades ago when ownership changed hands to someone outside the community. Okay, what what exactly does that mean? Someone outside the community. So, I, I mean, so, okay. But again, if you have somebody from inside, quote unquote, inside the community that wants to buy the gas station and the convenience store, that would be one thing. But I don't think that's out there. So if the Common Council goes ahead and they shut this place down and all the neighborhood protesters are going to celebrate, et cetera, et cetera. So what's going to happen? You're going to have a vacant building on uh, Tetonia and Roosevelt. I doubt seriously that there's going to be any new investment that's going to be pouring into this. So, great, you think you've got problems when there's a convenience store and gas station that's open. What happens 
when you're in a situation where it's now a, a vacant lot where people can congregate and things like that. And I, I get the idea, well, people don't like going in there and, you know, having to pay more money for stuff like that. But, okay, that's the nature of, of the business. If you've got fresh market lined up to come in there and start selling stuff, that's fine. But I don't think that that's the case. And you close this particular place down without any plan B as to what's going to go in there. Don't, don't you make things worse? Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, first of all, I don't know that, ex- that exact intersection, but I do know uh, the stretches of Teutonia that are very challenged, and I'm pretty sure it's there. Um, it's probably a little short-sighted. Um, as I said, I don't know the exact intersection. I don't know how many other gas stations are around there, but I think that it's a little misguided. Um, it's, you know, It sounds like they're blaming the business instead of, the people that actually live in that neighborhood. And, you know, if they want, you know, um, someone from the neighborhood, most gas stations are not run by people that live in those neighborhoods. They live outside those neighborhoods. So it it might be short-sighted, and I would say their um, anger or whatever it is is probably misguided. Well, thanks for calling, Mike. Look, I know I understand the frustration because because what to set this off is the fact that that the business hires this guy who they should not have hired, who was illegally carrying a firearm. They didn't do a background check on him, so I I, I understand that that that's a basis for anger. It's a basis for civil lawsuits. It is a basis for uh, again, um, you know, criminal prosecution of the, the shooter. So I, I get that, but is that a basis to close down the store? And if you close down the store, what comes next? I mean, so often there's just there's just no plan B that are that are out there. And a number of people are texting in with, you know, comments about some of the people who are behind this and and all. And and that's you know, that's a whole nother story. But nobody's. Nobody's asking, where do we go from here? All right, we've shut it down. That's great. We've tossed out the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Okay, fine. You know, what is, in fact, the plan B? It's just like, okay, we're angry. We're going to show that we can do this kind of stuff. And and maybe, just maybe, somebody on the Common Council, when they're having this hearing on Tuesday, should ask the question, what's going to go in there? What are you going to put in there? Well, we want somebody from the neighborhood to run something. Okay, who is that that person? What is this going to be? Tell me how this is going to be something other than a boarded up store, a vacant lot that is going to be allowed to. Again, if you think you've got problems now when it's an ongoing concern, what's going to happen when it's a vacant lot in that area? Can you imagine the people that are going to congregate and the stuff that's going to go on? Just asking, what's the plan B? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. If, if you if you watch our live stream, either through WTMJ.com, you know, watch live or through our YouTube channel. I mean, I started off the program. Like I say, I, I started off the program. We're going old school today because our, our spectrum Internet and cable and stuff is out at the house. So I, I wasn't able to do any sort of research at home, which means I can't print anything out. So we're old school. I, I have a sheet of paper that has the different topics I want to talk about. So if you don't believe me, here, here again it is. And as, as I get the different stuff, I cross it off. So that's that's how we're doing stuff. You know, we're we're back 25 years ago the way we used to do it with crossing that stuff off. It also depends on on how 
we end up um, how how we end up using the internet and how dependent we are. Okay, just a couple of final thoughts. A number of people are texting in about this gas station again. I I could care less whether the gas station remains open or not. It's just my point is always what is in fact the plan B? Where do you go with this? And and let me give you an example of this. There are clearly nuisance properties that that are out there, quote unquote nuisance properties. If you've got a bar, for example, that routinely serving underage minors. Okay, that's fine. That, that, I understand where that. You've got a bar that routinely is, I don't know, staying open after hours. Okay, that, and the police have to keep responding. That's it. You get a bar that the patrons are pouring out into the neighborhood and they're overserved at two o'clock in the morning and they're making all sorts of noise and it happens over and over again. Right? That might be an issue, you know, with, with the bar and that could lead to a, a nuisance sort of thing. But in, in many respects, if the problem is not with the bar necessarily, but rather it, it's with the patrons. Oh, you had a couple of patrons that get into a fight in a parking lot and the cops have to respond. Is that the bar's fault that people off the premises get into a fight? And, and how far do you carry this? Let me give you an example. Last week, there was the story about the shooting downtown at Elsa's restaurant. Elsa's on, on Cathedral Square there, which has been, it's been years since I've been to Elsa's, but Elsa's, you know, it, it's a place that movers and shakers of this in the city used to hang out at. I don't know if they still do or not, but for those of you who've been following the story, what ended up happening is you had a couple people who were um, apparently a guy or gal, but I think it was a guy who's outside of Elsa's who starts shooting into the restaurant and hits a couple people who are sitting at the bar. So, you know, I mean, is that the fault of Elsa's that you have some guy with a gun that decides to shoot through the door and ends up hitting a couple people at, at the, at the bar? I mean, is that Elsa's fault because you had somebody that did that? Now, I don't know if there's been other reports of instances of stuff at, at Elsa's, but is, is this going to be the basis for the common council to come in and say, well, you know what? We, we we want to go after this particular place because we think it's a nuisance because somebody got shot in that particular place, even though there's no evidence to suggest that there's anything that comes back to the owners of the place. Where where do you end up drawing the line? And once again, I could care less whether they close this particular gas station on Tetonia and Roosevelt. It's not like it's a place that I am patronizing. But what comes next? And how far do you go with this particular situation? Oh, it's it's a nuisance because, you know, we had reports of a couple fights there. Okay, well, one of our texters says, if you use this standard, you could probably declare almost every MPS high school a, a nuisance. And do you shut that down? Where is the responsibility? Just asking. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Sometimes... Sometimes it's best just to put your head down and go about your business. Latest example of that, Mike Lindell. Samantha, you know who Mike Lindell is, don't you? You don't. He's the My Pillow guy. He's oh now yeah, he's he's the the My Pillow guy. My Pillow, an incredibly successful business. Um selling pillows and things like that. Well, okay, Mike Lindell for reasons I guess known only to Mike Lindell, decided that he was going to wade full bore, full bore into the, the 2020 election issues and made claims of fraud and things like that. Um, he, he says he's now broke. His law firm, ha- he's, he's the subject of three defamation lawsuits, um, from, two are from, 
uh, the, these voting machine companies, Dominion Voting Systems and Smartmatic, as well as a third lawsuit brought by a Dominion employee who who all alleged that you know they they were defamed when he went all over the country and went on TV claiming fraud around the 2020 election. So they filed these lawsuits against him. He apparently owes his legal firm, his law, his lawyers owes them millions of dollars that he hasn't been able to pay them. And they've just said, okay, we're, you know, we we can't continue to work for free, so we want to withdraw. He says, I've lost everything, every dime, all of it's gone. He says his companies face financial challenges amid the lawsuits and sustained bad publicity to the point that he can no longer take out any loans. He says he's been canceled over his comments on the 2020 election. So... I mean, I, I get all this, and he's saying, oh, okay, these are all these different problems that are out there and all, but but these are problems of his own making. And, you know, his decision to go public and to say, okay, I'm going to repeat and I'm going to advance all these sort of claims, and I'm going to get the momentary attention, but then when it turns out that these claims are wrong or might be fraudulent or might be defamatory, this is the flip side of that. Mike Lindell is experiencing it. Rudy Giuliani is experiencing it. Other people are experiencing as well. And it, it might, it just might be a lesson for some people moving forward. All right. A lot of great stuff coming up in the one o'clock hour. Please stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Um, sometime this hour, we're going to revisit the conversation about the ongoing auto worker strike. And there's a, there's a new poll out that has some numbers that I, I, I question whether they're valid or not. But the the head of the union, the very militant head of the union, Sean Fain, he was supposed to address the public at one o'clock this afternoon about the latest developments. And um, he's, he does it on his Facebook live page. And, and so far, there, there's nothing happening um, there. The news is we have breaking developments in negotiations. President Fain will join as soon as possible. Thanks for your patience. So don't know if that's going to be more plants that are going out on strike doesn't know if or whether there's going to be some announcement of some breakthrough of settling and stuff. And I'm going to save my conversation about the latest developments. This is now like the third or the fourth week in the UAW strike until we, we hear what the latest information is. And I'm monitoring that while I'm doing the radio program. Okay, here's the story I want to discuss with you. Um, another another day, another handful of police chases. Here's the way it's reported on by Fox 6. Two people were taken into custody Friday morning, that would be today, following a police chase in Milwaukee. Two Milwaukee Police Department squad cars were struck by gunfire during the pursuit. Police did return fire. According to police, around 2.40 a.m. this morning, officers responded to the area of 22nd and Melvina for a shot spotter call. That's where they've got the technology that tells you where, where shots are fired. Upon arrival, they observed a vehicle fleeing the area recklessly. So they show up, they get a report that there's been shots fired. They show up, they show, they see this car that's fleeing, driving like a bat out of you know where. Officers attempted to stop the vehicle. Okay, now, I don't even necessarily have to read the rest of that sentence because we all know that this is Milwaukee and we know what happens when officers attempt to stop the vehicle. But for those of you who might be new to the program, officers attempted to stop the vehicle. However, the driver refused and a vehicle pursuit ensued. During the pursuit, 
an occupant of the fleeing vehicle fired several shots at officers, striking the squad car. So at 2.40 a.m. yesterday, the streets of Milwaukee were not unlike a John Wayne cowboy movie where you have the bad guys that are chasing the stagecoach trying to rob it, and you have the bad guys that are shooting at the stagecoach, and you have the stagecoach driver who is turning around and is, while they're, they're trying to control the horses, they are shooting back at the bad guys. Now, this is a little bit reversed because, in this case, um, the bad guys are the ones that are being chased by the cops. But during the pursuit, an occupant of the fleeing vehicle fired several shots at officers, striking the squad car. An officer returned fire. However, it does not appear he struck the vehicle. During the chase, the squad car became disabled. Now, I don't know if that's because of the shots that the people were firing at it or whether it was some other reason. A short time, but this is a big deal. You've got this this car that's fleeing the cops, and they're shooting at the cops. A short time later, another squad spotted the suspect vehicle and reinitiated the vehicle pursuit. The suspects fired several shots at the second squad, striking the vehicle. Hmm. The suspects eventually exited their vehicle and fled on foot in the area of 33rd and Mitchell. Wonderful. The driver, a 28-year-old man, was taken into custody. The passenger, a 35-year-old Milwaukee man, fled on foot and was arrested after a search of the area. Police say they are not seeking any additional suspects at the time. Okay, in the least surprising development of the story, several firearms and suspected illegal narcotics were recovered. An officer was struck by debris from the gunfire. He did not require medical attention. Criminal charges will be referred to the DA's office in the upcoming days. Now, okay, a couple points about this. First of all, would you like to would you like to present a wager about whether the two occupants of this vehicle, guns, drugs, fleeing from the cops and shooting at them, would you like to guess whether or not this is their first time at the rodeo? Did they just wake up one morning and say, hey, it's Thursday night. It's Thursday night, Friday morning. Let's go out 2.40 in the morning and tell you what, let's let's fill our car with guns and dope. And when the police try to pull us over, let's try to murder the police officers. Let's shoot at them. Now, it could very well be that this is their first time at that rodeo. But if you believe that, my advice would be make sure you duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself too badly. Um, of, of course, and, and we'll find out, my guess is they both have records as long as your arm. My guess is they have been through the system on multiple occasions, probably put on probation or given sentences, told, hey, you know, don't carry guns or anything like that, and yet they're carrying guns. So we'll, we'll know that when the district attorney issues charges in this case. The larger and the other question, and it was raised by somebody who, who reached out to me about this, the larger question, again, is it brings back something that we've discussed before, the, the notion of of chasing. In this particular case, you've got the cops that arrive on the scene because their shots fired. They begin to initiate a chase. The people, the bad guys, run away from them. In, in this, First of all, they drive away, and they start firing at the police. Now, this poses, puts the life of the police 
officers certainly in danger because anytime you're being shot at, you can get hit and killed. It also potentially puts into risk the you know anybody else who might be in this area. Now, it's 2 of 40 in the morning on 33rd Mitchell, so I don't know how many people are out there. But if there are people out there, all of a sudden, you know, you're on the roads and you're in the middle of this gun battle, you know, involving uh, this, this, these bad guys that are trying to get away and the cops. So the question becomes, when they start firing at the police and refuse to stop, is it reasonable to continue with the chase, continue trying to catch them, or should you just say, all right, look, we're, we're going to let them go. We've got a description of the car. We're going to try to conduct an investigation, and we're going to try to catch them later. And that's what somebody was asking me today. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. This is the easiest question that I was presented with today. If you're asking me, is it appropriate to continue the chase, and when people shoot at you, does that... Does that actually, if anything, does that give you more reason to have to continue the chase? Because it's one thing to run from the police. It's another thing if you're running from the police and you're willing to kill cops in efforts to get away. They, I think, have to do everything they possibly can to catch you right away. 855-616-1620. Once they start shooting, should they have stopped or should they have continued the pursuit? Thankfully, no police officers were killed, no bystanders were killed, and in what I would argue is an incredible example of police restraint, the people who shot at the cops weren't killed either. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. So two forty this morning, the cops arrive at a location in Milwaukee because they've got reports of shots fired. As they pull up, there's a car driving away at a high rate of speed. They begin to try to pull it over. The car takes off. Um, they start to chase. People in the car shoot at the police car. Okay, so it's it's kind of really it is like the wild wild west. Police officers shoot back. They don't hit the car. Um, the first squad car is somehow disabled. They won't say, I don't know if it's because of the bullets or because of something else. Uh, the cops find that car, the suspect car. A few minutes later, they reinitiate a chase. More gunfire is exchanged. Ultimately, the people in the car, the bad guys, get out, start running away. They are apprehended. They find in the car guns and drugs and things like that. So the question becomes, all right, once the shooting starts, should the cops have continued to try to apprehend people. Let's start with Gus in Madison. Gus, you're first. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yeah, they they probably should to a certain degree, but here's another good question. All the bullets that were fired and missed, did they pick off somebody else's house? Did they hit a city transport bus? Mm -hmm. Did they go where? You know, it's, it's... well, I gotta go somewhere. Well, sure, and and I mean now it is two forty in the morning as opposed to two forty in the afternoons. But but you're right. I mean there 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 are all sorts of chances that you know situations that there there could have been somebody out on the street. Um, the, these bullets are flying. You're you're exactly right. But I guess my question would be, whose whose fault is that? If somebody got hurt, whose fault is it if they got hurt because of the the stray bullets? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing going on real fast. 
Well, I mean, I mean th- I'm sorry. Thanks for. I didn't mean to cut you off, Gus. Thanks for. Go- well, I, I. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be finger pointing, you know, going on. But my 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 point is very simple. There's only one place to point the finger and use whichever finger you choose, and that's at these two low lifes who try to run away. Now, I understand there needs to be certain considerations, and you know, once people start shooting. You know, maybe again, if if it's two forty in the afternoon, going down Wisconsin Avenue, maybe that's a different kind of consideration than if it's two forty in the morning. But the, but the bottom line is, once you pull out, I, I guess I don't think that just because of the fact that you're willing to kill police officers, and that's what this was, people who are willing to kill police officers, just because you're willing to kill police officers, I don't think that should be, okay, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Here, let's let's let them go, and maybe you'll catch them later on, or maybe you don't. I mean, the truth is, with these chases, they don't catch everybody. They don't catch half the people that are involved in this type of stuff. So when when you have people that are willing to murder police officers, you have to, I think, do everything you possibly can to get them off the streets. My answer is these police officers that took these guys out, they they are the heroes, and they need to be treated as heroes. And for all the people out there who are saying, well, the police are an occupying force or the police, this is a, you know, we need to, you know, defund the police or stuff. No. Do you really want two people that are willing to shoot up the city in a, akin to, again, the, the old West? Do you, are you really willing to have this happen and to let these people, you know, go back out on the street? The other interesting question is going to be, now that they have been caught, what charges will the district attorney issue against people who were willing to murder police and what bail will be set for them? This is one that I've kind of got marked on my calendar to try to follow because curious as to who they are, curious as to how extensive their records are, if any. But like I say, I'm willing to bet that there is a record. What's happened to them in the past and under what circumstances do you release somebody that's willing to kill police officers and innocent people who might be walking up and down the street? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. This week on WTMJ. ABC News national correspondent Stephen Portnoy is live with us from Washington. The House is now decamped. Now the question is, how does the House of Representatives function? The big names. Robin Yount is with us live this afternoon on WTMJ. He is is the, the most special person I know on the face of this earth. He's the man for Wisconsin, that's for sure. The stories you're talking about. To hear Robin Yount genuinely gush about how special Bob Euchre is. It's really charming. With Social Security, the longer you wait, the more money you may get. Deciding when to start taking your Social Security benefits is one of the most important retirement decisions you'll make. Our team of advisors at Drake & Associates can show you the options and help you decide on the best decision for you and your situation. You spent decades paying in. Optimize what comes out. Our experienced team can help you squeeze every penny out of your Social Security benefits. I'd love to get you our Retirement Ready Toolkit, which includes guides such as the Social Security Decision. To receive this complimentary toolkit, call or text SS to 414-409-9982. That's calling or texting SS to 414-409-9982. Investment advisory services provided by Drake & Associates, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through a separate company, Gloft Financial Advisory Group, LLC, a Wisconsin insurance agency. Clients are under no obligation to purchase any recommended insurance products. Hi, John McGivern here. 
Did you know Network Health Medicare Advantage plans start at $0 a month? And you can get the extra benefits you need, like dental, vision, over-the-counter items, and more? I know because I'm a member myself. Call 833-7-NETWORK to learn more today. Network Health Medicare Advantage plans include PPO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Network Health Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. Hey, WTMJ's John Merck here, here for Floor Coverings International. They're doing the floor in my house, and it is awesome. You get a rave-worthy experience with Floor Coverings International, the stars of flooring. Now enjoy special financing and save hundreds off on new floors during FCI's Save with the Stars event. Enjoy FCI's all-star service, including the mobile flooring showroom. I love that. Thousands of options, down-to-the-penny quotes, and professional installation by one local team for your entire project. Offer ends 11-30-23, so schedule your in-home consultation today at FCI Promo. Offer good at participating locations. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so the head of the United Auto Workers, um, Sean Fain, he's he's giving a press conference right now. Um, uh, I, I don't know. He, his claim is, we are winning, we are making progress, we are headed in the right direction. He's wearing a T-shirt that says, Eat the Rich. Eat the Rich. I know a couple people who I consider to be rich. I don't want to eat them. I don't think that they would taste very well. Eat the Rich. Yeah, that's the, that's the attitude in, in Wisconsin. That's the attitude in this country. That's what we need to do. People who have been successful, people who have made money, we need to eat the rich. Workers of the world unite. Like I say, I, I know some rich people, and in taste, they would not taste very good. I'll give you an update on what he's saying in just a couple minutes. Again, he's, he's, um, it doesn't sound like they have settled the strike. I do know that uh, they say that a number of the car companies have made you know, improved offers. I don't know if they're expanding the strike as well, but we're going to um, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, there's also an interesting poll out that I I really I question whether the numbers are any good or not. But we'll we will discuss that. Hey, um, some good news today, and there hasn't been a lot of great news coming out this week. But the stock market um, originally the stock market took a big hit today because what happened is they they announced. They announced that the hiring numbers and one of the big concerns is kind of counterintuitive because you would think that if people are getting hired and employers are hiring people, that's a good thing, right? Normally that would be, hey, unemployment's not increasing. You know, people are getting hired. That, that, that's, you would think it's a good thing, right? And in certain respects, it would be, except the Federal Reserve is concerned with inflation. And, and actually their concern is, hey, the more people that get jobs, that's more money that they can spend. So they'll be able to spend. And that means costs will continue to go up. So again, it's kind of counterintuitive, but what I would argue is good economic news, jobs, Gaining people being hired, that could be bad news for the stock market because investors are concerned that that's going to make the Federal Reserve raise interest rates yet again. Why is raising interest rates bad for the stock market? Well, it's because when you raise the cost of borrowing, when you make it more expensive for businesses, for example, to, to borrow money to operate, what that means is they've got to pass that on to consumers. So, you know, if they have to pay more for their loans to produce their products, they will charge consumers more. So the concern is in an effort to stop inflation and discourage borrowing and growth, 
what they'll do is the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates again. Um, and, and of course, people don't like that. The stock market doesn't like it. So what happened is the uh, payroll numbers came in today, and they, they came in really hot. Um, a 336,000 jump in payrolls, um, which kind of indicates that the U.S. Um, is, at least that the economy, as far as like jobs and manufacturers, that's good news. That's good news. And the concern was that that was going to cause, uh, again, investors to sort of, uh, so again, pull back because they're afraid of another interest rate increase. That's, that happened early on. But now, um, now what's going on is the stock market is, is back up. The Dow Jones Industrials up 1.15 points, which translates into a 384 uh, point, uh, point increase. The NASDAQ up 223. Now, again, I think, you know, given some of the monumental losses that occurred earlier this week, it'll probably still finish down for the week. But these are it's an interesting time when good economic news ends up being bad economic news. Go figure. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, uh, again, the, the head of the UAW is in the process of, um, again, giving, giving a, a speech and, uh, talking about, uh, well, he, like I say, he's, he's wearing a t-shirt that says, eat the rich. And his quotations are things like, well, the billionaires and company executives think we automakers are just dumb. And talking about how we don't strike for just the, the heck of this. Now, for those of you who haven't been familiar with, it doesn't sound like they've, they've got a settlement right now, but the, the UAW has, yeah, the, the, I think GM has made six offers, Ford has made seven offers. Um, the companies have offered somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% pay increases over the course of the next three or four years. The union, they want 40% pay increases and they want them um, plus they want cost of living. They want a 40 hour pay period for 32 hours of work and other stuff relating to like tiered employment and things like that. So far, they've struck five auto plants and a number of, of suppliers. And what they're doing is they're doing targeted strikes. There's 146,000 UAW workers. And so far, like 25,000 are out on strike. And the idea is what let's try to do is let's try to cause as much pain as possible to the auto companies by, you know, striking at some of the plants. We're not going to tell them where we're going to strike at, but we'll go out and we'll strike some of these plants, the ones that are most making the most profitable vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, what I thought was real interesting is there was a there was a survey that um, was out. I think it was done by, uh, you know, one of the, for, it was done for the Detroit News by one of these you know, polling companies. And the numbers, they, they said, they asked, they asked people, do you support the United Auto Workers strike? And at least in this poll, so like of a thousand people, the numbers were 58% of the people answering the poll supported the strike. 58%, almost six out of 10 said, yes, no, we support this strike. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. 58%, at least in this particular poll, say they support the, the strike, which would, if if the union demands were conceded to, would, yes, dramatically raise the, the pay of, of auto workers. But it would also, of course, 
dramatically raise the cost of automobiles. It would probably lead to a, a number of closures of auto plants as Ford and General Motors and Chrysler Stellantis, as, as those cars became almost non-competitive. Because, I mean, the example I've given is, let's say you're in the market for a new SUV, and you're choosing between a Ford Escape or something comparable, a Toyota RAV4 or a Honda CRV or whatever the, the Nissan version of this is. All right, and the Escape, because you're paying dramatically more to the UAW workers, all right, are you, as an American automobile purchaser, are you going to pay $1,000 more or $1,500 more or whatever that would be to buy the Ford Escape when you can buy the Honda CRV for less? 855-616-1620. Do you believe that 58%, 58% of the public actually supports the UAW strike? And, you know, if if so... Um, why would that be? Is this really, hey, let's, um, you know, let, let's, the, the rich are evil. Let's, let's eat the rich. He's wearing a t-shirt that says eat the rich. Let's eat the rich. This is an awful sort of thing that's going on. We, the, the president of the company makes 21 million or 29 million or whatever that is. So what we have to do is we have to dramatically increase the wages. And nobody's arguing that UAW workers, for example, shouldn't get significant raises. The companies are offering 20 to 25 percent raises over the period of four years. But the union wants more. The union wants four day work weeks, but five day pay. How, how can this what is the effect if they were to get what they want? Isn't this effectively a guarantee that you're going to kill the industry? And I'm not even talking about what happens, where the billions of dollars that you're going to need to try to support the changeover from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles. I mean, it's it just seems to me by some of these demands that even if the companies give in, you've pretty much guaranteed that in the next couple of years, you've cut your own throat. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Okay, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. General Motors had agreed to a 23% increase in, in wages. Uh, Ford is offering 20%. I'm not sure about uh, Chrysler, which is Stellantis now. Uh, the union wants 36%. There are 25,000 UAW workers on strike across the country. Uh, about 146,000 UAW workers are employed by GM, Ford Motor, and Stellantis. The other car companies are, in general, not unionized. Um and right now the union's on strike. The head of the union is just given a press conference wearing a T-shirt that says, Eat the Rich. He says the development is General Mounters has agreed to place its battery plants under the union's national agreement. Um, okay, so that that's, I guess, a positive development. All right, poll out says that 57%, 58% of Americans support the strike. You believe that? 855-616-1620. Andrew in Waukesha. Andrew, you're first. Hello. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So the numbers sound right to me. In fact, it sounds a little bit low. I, I, But here's the thing. I don't think people support the strike because they know anything about the particulars of the strike. The strike is a placeholder for the economic grievances of people who haven't seen their wages increase. They've seen taxes, property taxes in particular, go up. 
I, I, put, I used a wage inflation calculator the other day to look at my wage versus when I graduated from high school. I make the equivalent of $14 an hour when I graduated back in high school. Now, if I could travel back in time and tell myself back then, hey, you want to go through all a bunch of college and a bunch of struggle and a bunch of, to make $14 an hour, my younger self would say, no, I'm just going to get a job for $15 an hour somewhere else. I mean, there are economic realities that the people in charge refuse to address. So what's your answer? So let me stop. Okay, so what's your answer? Let's say let's say you boost wages 35 percent, 40 percent. You go to the four day work week with five day pay. And the effect of that is the cost of cars go up a couple thousand dollars. Um, what, well, again, what's, again, you're putting words in my mouth. No, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm asking what happens. About the particulars. Well, but I am. So what happens? What what happens Here's to that? Here's what's going to happen. All the electric vehicle lines, yeah, yeah, all the electric vehicle lines will probably go out of business. I don't yeah. care. I think that's a good thing. Okay, good enough. Thank, thanks for calling. I mean, here, here's what's going. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. They, they won't be able to afford to do the electric conversions. But more importantly, and you're starting to see this, for example, in other industries, like read the fast food industry, where, what, Cal- California, what, at the start of the year, is it, is it the start of the year or is it already? I think it might be the start of the year. The minimum wage for fast food workers goes up to $25 an hour. Oh, that, that's great. You know, people are going to be making, you know, more money. Well, okay, that's, of course, the, the starting wage. So if you've got somebody that's been working in a fast food restaurant right now who for three years is making 18 bucks an hour, you can't just up them, or 20 bucks an hour, you can't just up them to 25. You've got to up, up them more. So what is the effect of this going to be? Well, all right, first of all, a lot of the cost is going to be passed on to people. Have you, have you tried to take a family of four through a McDonald's drive through lately and seen what the cost of that is? But more importantly, the incentive is going to be, all right, if you can't make a reasonable mon- profit, what happens? The business is closed down. Alternatively, the businesses try to find cheaper ways to do things. What is that cheaper way to do things? Oh, yes, it's automation. Um, all right, maybe it now becomes more profitable. Maybe if we're paying, I don't know, 12 or $13 an hour, it still makes sense to have, you know, three people working behind the counter. All right, and somebody else, you know, working at the drive-through window. All right, that, that might be fine at 12 or 13 bucks an hour, but you start doubling it. Now it's 25 bucks an hour. What makes more sense? Well, maybe it makes more sense to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to automation and we're going to have self-service kiosks and what that's going to how you do it or we're going to close the interior and it's going to all be drive through or we're going to go uh, again to more and more automation because now we can put in this automated system that doesn't so we can operate the store on three employees instead of six or seven employees and you don't think businesses are going to do that well that that's just the case so i mean look i don't mind i'm not against people making more money i that that's fine make as much money as you want but recognize that there are consequences for that 855-616-1620 rick in mcguanago rick you're on wtmj hello hi thanks for taking my call sure what it's interesting what you just said um because the question becomes, how is it that, and if you're old enough as I am to remember manufacturing jobs like the auto workers, where, where uh, employees had not just a decent wage, but they had a full benefits package, mm-hmm. they had uh, a, a pension coming after the retired, the question becomes what's changed during that time. So when you say that costs have to be passed on, the, the question is why? When the executives at GM and these plants make 400 times more 
than the workers themselves. So, so that, that 80s economic philosophy that came into vogue that essentially was anti-union and anti-living uh, wages plus benefits package for workers that became popular during the Reagan administration, the demonization of unions, a person has to ask himself, so, so why is this cost passed on to the consumer? And the reason is that some individuals refuse to, to uh, basically sacrifice the way all of us uh, in the working sector uh, sacrifice. Okay, Rick. So let's say. Okay, let's say. No, wait. Okay, so let's say you cut the salary of the of the C. And I, I forget who makes twenty nine million. Whether it's the GM guy or the Ford guy, but one of those two makes twenty nine million. Let's say you cut their salary. The board of directors says, "Okay, we're going to cut your salary to ten million. Okay, all right. It, it, is that you, you've now saved? You've now saved twenty million dollars. Is that going to make the difference? Is that going to give you enough money to pay the forty percent pay raises to all the workers? No, of course not." It's a drop in the bucket. Well, uh, the question the question becomes why why does an executive at GM make ten million dollars to begin with? I mean, why does Aaron Rodgers why does Aaron Rodgers make seventy five million for two years? I mean, you know, it's I mean, it, it, because obviously there are people that value the skill set and think that that's that that's what you need to do. Now, I don't know enough the, about the hiring a, a man. Wait, 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 wait. So, so, so we know that that the executives at GM, Ford, Chrysler. But these guys object to electric, uh, electric technology. Uh, and essentially their argument is going to be that, that it's anti-American because, because the batteries manu- are manufactured in China, blah, blah, blah. If you read the recent New York Times article, it, it does a brilliant job of explaining this. And in addition to the, the petroleum industry opposing, of course, that technological change as well. So if we're talking combustion engines, that technology is well over 100 years old. I don't see where these executives are making decisions that justify a $10 million salary as opposed to giving a worker $30 an hour. Okay, I mean, well, the economics just don't add up. Well, Rick, but the, thanks, Rick. But the, the, well, the problem is, okay, you all right, so, I mean, I get it. We're, we're going after the rich, okay? You know, workers of the world unite. All right, so my point is, so you cut the salary, okay? Pay, and, and I, I mean, I have issues with salaries. I don't, the reason the guy at Ford or the guy at GM, whoever's making the $21 million, is doing that is because they think he brings a skill set that is worth it. Aaron Rodgers gets paid, what, 30-some million dollars this year and $35 billion next year because they think he has a skill set that, that is, is worth it. And if he's not able to deliver or she's not able to deliver results, well, then they're going to be out on their keister. So obviously, you know, if, if we want to talk about salaries and things like that, I'm, I'm open to having, you know, this conversation. But this idea that, oh, these CEOs aren't worth it. Well, obviously, the people that make decisions think that the CEOs bring this skill set that's there and so that they are, are worth it. But, OK, let's take the premise. Let's cut the CEO's benefits by by let's let's take them from twenty one million to ten million. Okay, ten million dollars isn't going to you know give you the money. You're not going to have enough to redistribute it to give all the workers four day work weeks with five days pay. You're just not going to be able to do that. The only thing that's going to happen is the costs are going to go up. Now that's fine, but let's understand that. All right, for everybody who answers this poll saying yeah, I. I I support the workers. That, that's that's great. Okay, what then happens 
when those costs get passed on to the general consumer. And if you think that's not going to happen, okay, fine, but I think you're kind of naive with that. So it gets passed on to the general consumers, and then the Ford Escape costs two grand more than the the Honda, the, the Toyota RAV4 or whatever, and then people start to say, okay, we're going to buy this. And if you don't think that's going to happen, that is what's happened to American industry time and time again. I've been doing this show for a long time, and I, I've I've gotten multiple phone calls over the years from people who say, I want to buy American. I, I just, that's it. I think it's outrageous that, you know, we're, you know, bringing, importing all this stuff in from South Korea or from China or whatever. And yet every, well, at least before, you know, we had the internet and stuff. Remember the, the Black Friday days, the, you know, Friday after Thanksgiving? Okay, for everybody who said, I want to buy American, I want to buy American, you'd have people that were lined up outside the big box retailers pushing each other and shoving each other to try to go and buy the, the DVD player, or if we want to date ourselves, the VHS player, or the Blu-ray disc player, or the CD player, or the latest TV that's been made in China or South Korea, or wherever, because it's hundreds of dollars cheaper than, than buying American. That's just what's happened time after time after time. And I guess I, I wonder, look, I understand the auto workers say, okay, we, we want, you know, we want all this money and we understand that inflation has gone up and inflation has affected everybody. And, you know, maybe that's something that you want to talk to President Biden about because inflation has just gone out of control over the course of the last couple of years. But that's fine. You want more money. I get it. Everybody wants more money. No problem with that. But there is a certain point where by paying people what they want, by giving them everything, you end up pretty much guaranteeing that you are going to go out of business. And that's the battle. And I would argue, look, I mean, these companies are offering 20 percent increases or 25 percent increases or what that is. Sometimes, like I was talking about yesterday, with politics being the art of the possible, you know, you sometimes it's in your interest to kind of make a deal. And if you can get 75% of what you want, maybe that, that's a good, that's a good thing. And then you come back later and try to get it. I, look, it, let the auto workers, I, I get it. They want to stay out on strike. I understand. We want to eat the rich. I get all this. How dare, you know, these CEOs make that money, even though somebody thinks whatever it is that they're doing is worth it. Okay. That, that's fine. Just be careful of what you wish for, because if if your demands are such that you end up pricing your product too high and the purchases don't come in, then pretty soon you're going to be out of a job. Just saying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Dave in Kenosha says, hey, Jeff. You ever getting a job from poor? Ever got a job from a poor guy? Yeah, that that is. I mean, this whole class warfare that's out there. Okay, you, you know, you're you own this factory, you own this business, and and you've made a lot of money. Well, okay. Um, generally speaking, what happens is those are the people that are doing the hiring. And again, this class warfare in this country, I just it's always it's bad for the country, and it, it's kind of bothered me. And now this is this is the latest example of that. Let's look at that CEO. He's making twenty million dollars. He obviously can't be worth it. Well. Look, I don't know what goes into hiring somebody who's going to run a large automobile company. And, and maybe that is the going rate. Maybe that's what you have to pay to get somebody who has that particular skill set. I don't know. But if this, if the shareholders and the board of directors feel that that's what you have to pay, well, then that's what you have to pay. Aaron Rodgers, $35 million. Okay, well, you can make a strong argument that what Aaron Rodgers does isn't worth $35 million. But... 
That yet that's that's the going rate for somebody with that particular skill set. You know, the other point that a number of texters are making is, you know, people have different educational levels. People have different skill sets. Now, look, I, I'm I'm not. I don't denigrate people who work in fast food restaurants, for example, and flip burgers and things like that. All right. I don't do that. But if that job, if the experience that is required, if the skill set is required, isn't worth $25 an hour, then the businesses shouldn't be required to pay $25 an hour. People should be paid what the job is worth, whether that's a prima donna football player or whether it's a school teacher or a doctor or a radio talk show host or a UAW worker. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, including some fun things. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. For those of you who've been watching the program on our YouTube streaming, I, I, as I saying, I, I've been old school this week because I woke up this morning to find that our spectrum cable and Internet was was not working and hopefully people are out there now fixing it. So haven't been able to research like I normally did. So I, I have this old school list that I'm displaying now. And as I go through it, this is the way we used to do it years and years ago, just kind of writing down my notes and crossing things off. And we're we are moving along. You know, it is interesting during the break, one of the individuals texted in about what we were talking about with the UAW strike. And this poll it said 58 percent of people answering the poll say, yes, give the UAW workers whatever they want. And the interesting question would be, OK, what kind of car are you driving? <laughs> which which I think is, is interesting. What kind of car are you driving? Yes, give the UAW workers everything they want and let's drive up the cost of of American cars. Okay, that's fine. What kind of car do you have in your garage? Are you driving are you driving a Lincoln? Are you driving Cadillac? Are you driving, you know, a Ford Escape or instead are you driving a Subaru or a Nissan or a Hyundai or a Kia or a Honda or a Toyota? And, and if so, why are you doing that? Well, I guess it's easy to say, okay, well, let's you know, it doesn't affect me. It's other people's money. That that's that that's great. I'm not gonna. I'm not driving a Ford. I'm not driving a General Motors car. I'm not driving something made by Stellantis. That's fine. You know, pay them whatever they want. But then when people go to the individual dealerships and they say, "Oh boy, Escapes cost more than you know the Toyota Rav fours And gee, I mean, their Escape's a great car. The Toyota Rav Four is a great car, but it's going to cost more because it's American made. How many people are really going to pay that extra money? And the answer is probably not that many. So it again, be careful what you wish for. You know, you want to get everything you can. I get it. That's fine. I understand that. That's human nature. But at the same time, again, there are all these things. The law of unintended consequences. Okay, I want to. I want to have a little bit of fun. I want to lighten it up a little bit in this hour of the program as we go into the weekend. I want you to think about this thing that is in your kitchen that keeps things cold, the refrigerator. Right Now think about your refrigerator and think about the front of your refrigerator and think about what it looks like. Now, for me... It's kind of a tale of two cities because I, I remember when I lived in when I lived in Whitefish Bay, my late wife was big on kitchen magnets. So if you looked at our refrigerator, I mean it was it was cluttered with kitchen magnets, magnet uh, post notes of all sorts of different things, 
business cards of people, calendar stuff. I mean, literally, the refrigerator was covered with stuff on the refrigerator. And to the point that what we would have to do is, like every six months or so, we kind of have to go through it and like get rid of kitchen magnets and post-it notes and things like that because, well, we needed room for more post-it notes or kitchen magnets or whatever. Now, now that was then. Right now, my house, um, you if you look at the refrigerator, there are no kitchen magnets, none, none, none at all. There's no post-it notes. There's no nothing. It is a clean look. I don't even know. I think it is magnetized. I, I'm not sure, but I think we could put kitchen magnets up there, but I better not try it because it would go nowhere with my wife. What are you doing putting stuff on there? I bring this up because there's there, there's a new trend that's developing, and the Wall Street Journal writes about this. Are fridge magnets lowbrow? Appliance manufacturers have decided yes. Um, here's the story. When Ryan Bradley, a freelance editor in Los Angeles, went shopping for a new refrigerator five years ago, he immediately ran into issues. Bradley, 40 years old, didn't need Bluetooth connectivity or smudge-proof finishes. He just wanted something to stick his magnets to. But not only were most salespeople unsure if floor models were magnet-friendly, they were surprised that he cared. I felt like a crazy person. Few fridge buyers still covet ferromagnetic surfaces, those to which the magnets stick. Um, the, that, and then they talk about how, you know, some, um, some of the manufacturers view, um, magnetism as kind of, well, sort of a retro thing. Many, many, many of the new refrigerators that are being produced nowadays, they, they, they are not magnetic. And a story about someone, I bought this fridge, I assume it was welcome to magnets, I put the magnets on there, they just fell to the floor. Cheaper fridges, like some that Frigidaire make and stuff that you largely find in rental units, they are magnetic. But most of the so-called higher-end models are not. For example, Electrolux designs its pricier fridges as aesthetic objects in and of themselves, and they say that magnets on the fridge would take away from the premium look. More bluntly, one of the executives considers a fridge putting magnets on fridges a little lowbrow. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I understand this is not the most pressing story of the day and the most pressing issue of the day, but I admit that I am intrigued by this. Are you one of those people, and I know that there are a lot out there, whose whose refrigerator is covered with magnets? And would this be a deciding factor in whether or not you are purchasing a refrigerator? You buy that new, and I got to admit, it wouldn't occur to me If I was in the appliance store looking to buy a refrigerator, it wouldn't occur to me now and it wouldn't have occurred to me 10 years ago to say, hey, is this thing magnetic? Can I put the can I put all these magnets up there? I'm looking at a couple pictures that are out there of these refrigerators that are just covered with different kitchen magnets and sticking things and stuff like that. All right. Kitchen magnets on fridges, lowbrow or are they a necessity? 855-616-1620. Think about your fridge. Think about all the clutter that's out there. All right. If suddenly you bought a new refrigerator, it wasn't magnetic, and all those magnets fall to the floor, you're going to be bummed out. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. On WTMJ. 
of the little things that I kind of find in, intriguing. For years and years and years, um, if you looked at lots of people's kitchen, the refrigerators, they were covered with kitchen magnets, right? It was just one of the, the things that, that happened. It was kind of kitschy and stuff like that. Well, now it's not a question of choice. On many, many new refrigerators, including some of the, the higher cost refrigerators, the designers of the fridges have decided that aesthetically, they, they don't want kitchen magnets cluttering up this. So the, 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 the refrigerators, at least the, the doors, are non-magnetic. So if your fridge dies, you go and you want to try a new one, you buy a new one, you get it home. Don't be surprised if when you go to put those magnets up, they, they fall to the floor. And the, the thinking is, well, aesthetically, we know better than the consumer, so we don't want to give people this option. 855-616-1620. Jeff, on my old fridge, I had lots of magnets on the front. The fridge died, and now I do not put any uh, new magnets on the front of it. it. There are some on the side that you can put on. So, uh, yeah, maybe the, the side uh, is... Maybe the side could still be sticky. Jeff, our 10-year-old LG just went bad, and we're getting a new one. But we did find that only really strong magnets have worked on the front. The weaker magnets have had to be on the side. Jeff, my new refrigerator is not magnetic. I didn't know that until I got it home. Otherwise, it would be covered with magnets and things that the magnets are holding up. Besides, what business is it of the CEO, what we do with our refrigerator when we get home? Well, that's one of the interesting things that's kind of out there. Um, Jeff, I would say, yay, then I can honestly throw out all those really magnetic calendars that seem to find their way on the fringe and all the other tchotchke magnets. Um, yeah, well, you, you have that there. Jeff, we have about a half dozen magnets on our refrigerator, but that was new last year. And by the way, we are not lowbrow. Um, about a half dozen people are saying, well, the, um, the alternative to this is there's always scotch tape. So now that would really I'm trying to imagine the look of that in people's kitchens. If you've got the scotch tape that's out there and you're putting that up, I assume post the notes still stick. Um, yeah, but I you know, who knows, Jeff, um, the the refrigerator is the only place to put our kids and grandkids drawings. Well, then you better keep in mind, because if you're one of those people that takes that the drawing that your kid made or grandkid made and you you know use the magnet to hold it up, you buy a new refrigerator and chances are better than even that it isn't going to work. Who knew? Of all the different things that I would think of when buying an appliance, it wouldn't occur to me that, gee, it might not be magnetic. Now, that would not, like I say, be a... It wouldn't be a, a deciding, it wouldn't be a decision for me. Oh, it's not magnetic. I'm not going to buy it. But who knew that they're not magnetic anymore? Wally in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, well, for me, it's, I can't stand it. The magnets, it just drives me crazy. I have a 10 year old daughter, and every time she puts one on the refrigerator, I take it off and I throw it in the garbage can. Uh, it just, I, <laughs> I, I just like to look a nice, clean look. I, I don't like the magnets. So for for me, I kind of agree with the old corporate America, especially with some of the new refrigerators. They're three, four, five. I mean, you get into sub zeros, ten and fifteen thousand dollars. I think it distracts from the look of the refrigerator. And uh, for me, I'm mm-hmm. I can do without the magnets. Well, well thanks, Nicole. I guess see here here is the thing. I, I think a lot of people. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do this topic. I was kind of intrigued by it because I think a lot of people 
who are buying these new refrigerators just don't know that. I mean, you wouldn't think to ask whether it's magnetic or not. I, I wouldn't. And so if you're one of those people, and I'm hearing from a lot of you out there who, hey, we, we love, this is where we put up the calendars, and this is where we put up the kids' pictures, and this is where we do these, and we need the magnets to stick the things up there. I, I And to me, that's an individual decision. Do I think it's lowbrow? No, I just think it's that's that's where you know people put the calendars that's where people do what it is that they want to do and i don't i don't care about that one way or the other and candidly i don't really understand why the refrigerator manufacturers care for that um either aside from the, the whole idea of aesthetics it would seem to me that you could still have an aesthetically pleasing front to your refrigerator and yet you'd still have the capabilities of it being magnetic but i don't design refrigerator doors anyhow <laughs> the, the, the things here so i mean here's the the bottom line jeff our lg has a stainless steel front on which magnets will not stick well yeah that's the issue that's out there. Jeff, I'm a magnet on a fridge person, disappointed to have bought an Electrolux 12 years ago that cannot hold magnets. Looking forward to the future fridge that I can decorate. I think it makes the kitchen homey. Jeff, I love my refrigerator magnets. I have about 20 from different vacation spots I've been to. Nice reminders of the good times I have had. Jeff, I put doctor's appointments and vet appointments on the refrigerator. Also, the packer's schedule. Yeah, that's it. Jeff, I love being able to put our kids' photos, drawings, and other family things on the refrigerator. I would look for a magnetic front for sure. I don't think it's lowbrow. We're celebrating our family. Well, absolutely, and I think that's tremendous. Just just be warned, when you're in the market for a refrigerator, one of the things you might want to do is take along one of those kitchen magnets, because chances are if you ask the person at the appliance store, is this magnetic, they might say, not sure. Who knew that they don't make magnetic doors to refrigerators anymore. See, listen to this program, you'll learn a lot. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wack. A lot of people want to weigh in the kitchen magnet in the refrigerator. Again, I, I don't, I guess I walk into somebody's kitchen and I see it cluttered with kitchen magnets. Do I think it's necessarily lowbrow? No, I just think that that's the way they operate. And like I say, I've, I've lived in households where the refrigerators were covered with kitchen magnets and where they, they weren't. And I think it's just kind of what you're used to and what your habits are. But just be warned, it's more and more difficult, especially if you're buying a high-end refrigerator, it's more and more difficult to be able to find one that supports this. Um, there's an interesting story in the L.A. Times that I wanted to mention because – we were talking about the UAW in the last hour of the program, and, and one of the challenges that the all automakers have is they are under incredible pressure from the government, whether it's state government or federal government, to do away with the internal combustion engine and go to all electric. And if you're a regular listener program, this program, you know that I'm I'm just I'm not down with this at, at all. I think it should be a free market sort of situation. But I understand that you've got a lot of the environmental activists who out there who have decided that natural gas is bad and fossil fuels are bad. And what we need to do is we need to go to all electric. Now, of course, the, the question that happens all the time then is, OK, fine, we're going to go to all electric. Who's going to produce that electricity? Where is the electricity going to come from? 
Um, how, how are you going to generate it? Because if you're now going to power all the cars that are on the road and we're going to heat people's homes in January in Wisconsin or air condition people's homes in July in Orlando, Florida, you, you need you need to have a strong power grid. And you're not going to be able to do that with solar. You're not going to be able to do that with wind. So what does that mean? Well, it means natural gas. It means um, nuclear power, etc. Oh no, we can't do that. So these are the questions that nobody seems to want to answer or address. You know, how are you going to do all this different stuff? So a- anyhow, we're, we are marching towards this this all electric version. Now, to me, there are a number of rather than pushing all electric cars, and as, as I say repeatedly, if you want to buy an electric car and you're willing to figure out how you're going to charge it, and you're willing to live with the, okay, it's going to take X, I I don't know where I'm going to find a charger, and it's going to take X amount of time to recharge this, et cetera, et cetera, and I know it can only go so many miles. If you're willing to live with that, my reaction is go with God. That's fine to do it. But it seems to me that there is there are a middle ground that I'm surprised that we are not pushing people into. There's a fascinating story in the L.A. Times about this. You know, it, the choice nowadays really isn't internal combustion engine or all electric. There are other choices in between. One of the choices that's been around for the longest time is is hybrid cars. Um, the hybrid car where you've got the gas engine and you've got the electric motor and the gas engine charges the electric motor while it is running. So what happens is that you can get X amount of, you know, when when you're driving initially, you can get the electric motor that will run, and that'll operate the car, and then the gasoline engine ends up kicking in. So you can have this balancing. You can get more mileage because you're running at least a little bit, you know, off of, off of the battery. Uh, so that's the traditional hybrid. Then you have the plug-in hybrids, which are different. The plug-in hybrids are where you, you still have a, a gasoline-powered engine. You plug them in, though, and what happens is you can go for 25, 30 miles on the battery charge. So for a lot of people, if, if that's all your daily drive is, you, you never have to use the gasoline-powered engine. You plug it in. It's battery first, and then once the battery dies, essentially, that's when the engine kicks in. Now, these are, to me, some of these middle ground things that are out there um, that, you know, perhaps we should be pushing. But as a story in the, the L.A. Times, it's interesting because the environmentalists, they hate these. They hate the hybrids and they hate the plug-in hybrids because um, the hybrids still run on gasoline, Regular hybrid car runs on gasoline using battery power to improve gas mileage. Plug-in hybrid can go a few dozen miles on battery power alone, but at the same time, then the engine kicks in. So either it's a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. These give you opportunities to expand your mileage. It gives you a chance to, in some cases, not have to run the gasoline-powered engine. But the environmentalists just go nuts because you still have that gasoline engine in there, even though it makes it, it makes kind of sense to do this. I would never go the electric vehicle route. I, I've said that. I wouldn't. Now, a hybrid car, I could see that. I mean, I could see that. A plug-in hybrid, I'm not sure I'm even there yet. But, I mean, I understand the appeal of that. It would seem to me that rather than trying to push people against their will into electric vehicles, 
we should be focusing on reasonable transitions, especially since the electric vehicle technology isn't there. You don't have enough charging stations. We don't know how we're going to. We don't know about the power grid. We don't have the distance that you need to make these things practical for most people. So instead of pushing electric vehicles, I think we're missing the boat by not pushing hybrids or even the plug-in hybrids that do have more appeal. Okay, that's kind of cool. I can get 25 or 30 miles on the battery. That might be all I need three days a week when I'm running my different errands. But then I don't have to worry about this because after that 25 miles is gone, then the gas engine kicks in so I can continue to drive. The environmentalists, they don't like plug-ins. They don't like the regular hybrids. I think they're missing the boat. Okay, when we come back, it's that time of the week. Pop Culture Corner right around the corner. Gather round all. It's time for Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Time to put aside the heavy lifting and have a good time at the old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's Jeff Wagner. Three people texting saying, we're getting the mar- we're in the market to buy refrigerators. We love kitchen magnets. Thanks for sharing. We'll make sure the doors are magnetic. Well, okay. I'm just that's what we're here for. We talk the big events of the day, and we talked a little. But on the other hand, in some respects, there's some national stories that people say, ah, I, don't, I mean, I have an opinion on it, but I'm not sure you know, it affects my life one way or the other. You buy that refrigerator, and you go to put your kitchen magnets on it, and it slips off. Well, that could be a big crisis. Okay, this, like the big voice guy says, is the portion of the week. We have been doing this. Well, we do this this time every week. It is Pop Culture Corner. We do put aside the heavy lifting, and we talk about, well, some fun stuff. Sometimes it's stories from the world of politics. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes travel. It's just typically there's something that's happened in a given week that has tickled my fancy, and I find it interesting, and I use it as the, the subject matter of this. Uh, Pop Culture Corner is, always, as always, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. We have a Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that three times fast to give away. It is in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Samantha. If you don't win it, it's not my fault. Blame her. Um, one caller has to be a caller. will win the prize package. It's a coupon for two frozen pizzas. They're really good frozen pizzas. And the Palermo's Pizza um, a pizza cutter, which is kind of cool, and some other tchotchkes that come along with that. So um has to be a caller. Maybe sometime we'll switch and we'll, we'll do like texters, but right now it, it's a caller. So what are we going to talk about in Pop Culture Corner this week? Well, there were a number of stories, but what really caught my attention yesterday, and of course I, I've been sort of obsessed with sports this week, went to the two Brewers games um, on Tuesday and Wednesday, and unfortunately that didn't turn out the way it, it thought. But, you know, I was there with my friend Evan, and we were, who's now on his way back to Virginia, drive safe pal so we we were you know we were we were talking about the old days and we were talking about the brewers glory years and the, the great players for the brewers and things like that so we had a number of baseball related you know conversations that were out there then yesterday the news broke that dick butkus the former middle linebacker from the chicago bears he passed away at the age of of 80 and i last night um after the after the Bears football game, I think I was watching that on Amazon Prime, they were, there were a number of tributes to, to Dick Butkus. I never saw Dick Butkus play in person. But, I mean, I, I remember, you know, Butkus played from, like, 1965 to 1973. I was, I was looking at the films of Dick Butkus playing linebacker. He was an animal. <laughs> I, I say that with all due respect. This guy was like a man among boys. And football back then, 
Um, you, you didn't have these the rules that they have now to protect the quarterbacks and things like that. I mean, it was it was just brutal. And I was watching these clips of these these tackles that Butkus would make, and I mean, he would just be leveling people, and you'd go, "My goodness, how does somebody get up after being hit like that?" It was just amazing. And Butkus, I mean, his his career, I think it was nine years. I think he played from sixty five to seventy three. He ended up retiring because of knee injuries and things like that. But if you watch. You watch Dick Butkus playing linebacker, and you go, oh, my goodness, I can't imagine being somebody that's assigned to block him. I mean, it was just, he, he was, it was just amazing. And, I mean, I always remember these things about Dick Butkus, but I, I never saw him play in person. But you can make a strong argument that Dick Butkus was at least one of, if not the greatest football player of all time, at least maybe the greatest defensive football player. And because we have the baseball season, at least the Brewers season is over, um, things are winding down, I, I thought we would revisit something that we've talked about from time to time. I was watching Dick Butkus play. Uh, we had the announcements, you know, um, in the last few days that you have, you know, Giannis, and they've now paired him with Damian Lillard. It's, it's really kind of a golden age for Milwaukee sports fans. But I thought we'd have some fun this week. Um, in recognition of the passing of Dick Butkus, my question to you is, who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time? You can pick in the world of sports, and I'm not going to limit it to football. I'm not going to limit it to baseball. I'm not going to limit it to, you know, what, whatever, hockey, basketball, whatever. But in your opinion, and sometimes when we talk about related things, I say you have to see in the person, person in person. No, that, that's not it, because I never saw Dick Butkus play in person. But I think, I mean, I can just see from watching the films what an amazing guy he was, and what a great player he was. So who's the GOAT, the greatest, the greatest athlete of all time, and why? It could be from baseball. It can be from basketball. It can be from football. It can be, I guess, from any sporting event. The greatest of all time, 855 616 one six twenty. Back with your calls and texts in just a moment. It's pop culture time. Now back to take your calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Who's the greatest of all time? I was thinking about that with the passing of Dick Butkus. Not the greatest football player necessarily, but the greatest athlete in general. Interestingly, during the break, there was an ad with the voice of Michael Phelps. A couple of our texters saying Michael Phelps. World of Swimming. Okay, let's start with Chris in Johnson Creek. Hi, Chris. You're on WTMJ. Chris. Okay. Hello. Hi, yes. Chris. Go ahead. Greatest of all time. Hi there. Hi. Uh, for me, it's got to be Michael Jordan. Yeah. The guy, uh, two-sport athlete, world champion. He could arguably, arguably probably been in the PGA yep. as well. His world branding recognition between Nike, Gatorade, all of, who wants who doesn't want to be like Mike, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for you know you're with Michael Jordan. You're right. He's such an he's a number one incredible basketball player. I I think you can make a strong argument that he was certainly in the world of basketball that the greatest of all time. And then you're exactly right. You know he he was a two sport athlete. You know he went into you know professional baseball in the middle of of his career. And while he, he didn't, 
he, he wasn't as accomplished a baseball player and ultimately went back to basketball. You know, there's not too many people that can say, okay, this is what we're going to do and we're going to transition. I mean, Derek, uh, not Derek Jeter, uh, Deion Sanders being, being another one, but I'm not sure as great as Deion Sanders was. He doesn't compare to Michael Jordan as far as how tremendous he was. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got, uh, Jim in Hartford. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Greatest of all time. Who's the goat? Henry Aaron. Okay. Um, well, and I saw I saw him play at County Stadium mm-hmm. and many times. I'd save up my <laughs> money so I could take the bus to County Stadium. Yeah. Thank, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, Henry Aaron... Um, I think you can make a strong argument that I think you make a strong argument that he was one of, if not the greatest baseball players of of all time. I mean, the home run leader for the longest time and you know, played in kind of a different era. I never saw Henry Aaron play in in person because I mean I wasn't here when the Braves were here and stuff but I, I mean I can remember his swan song when he came back for the last year or two of his career um, and, and played for the Brewers and it was a great honor on top of that you know Henry Aaron just a, an outstanding person e- everybody that ever interacted with him talked about what a wonderful man he was and of course keep in mind as well he came up at a time of um well, it wasn't easy to be a black ball player in America. And, you know, you, you read these stories of what a number of the black athletes had to go through in, in dealing with, you know, in, in just dealing with the prejudice that was out there and things like that. And, and Aaron was able to clearly rise above it. Okay, let's talk to, um, let's see, Steve in Antioch. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mine's Steve. a little oddball of a pick, but... Um, 17-time world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. And the only reason I say this is these guys have, or he had such a prolonged career, and these guys are on the road maybe 350 days a year and bouncing from arena to arena all around the country. And that takes plenty of stamina and charisma to get the following that that guy's had. So well, remember, remember early in his career, Flair was involved in a plane crash and he, he broke his back. Yeah. And, you know, he recovered right. from that. You know, I mean, you know, it is an incredible story. And, I, and, and you know, it's, it's funny. Everybody kind of rolls their eyes when you talk about professional wrestling. And they, they say, well, it's fake. Well, it's, the, the results are predetermined. It's scripted. But that doesn't mean it's fake. Those falls that these guys take, they're, they're real. You know, when they get thrown over the top rope, and land on the concrete that's that's real and that's one of the reasons why you know a lot of people their wrestling careers are relatively short because of the things you're talking about all the strains on the road but also the battering that your body takes doing this night after night and flair flair was just amazing the fact that he he had the longevity he did yes he did yes he he stuck around for quite a while and Calling the woo thing <laughs> yeah. too. So right. Thanks. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Now, actually, that woo thing, that, that would be one of the reasons I might not put him on my greatest of all time list just because gosh, it was earlier this year. I was, at a, I was at a baseball, I was at an American family field, and there was a guy behind me who kept doing the woo thing. And, you know, I, maybe it was cute the first time, maybe. It it got old by the third or fourth time, and he was doing it inning after inning after inning. And you just want to say, hey, kind of knock it off, pal, would you? Let's talk to Mike in Oak Creek. Mike, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Hi, Mike. Mike. Greatest of all time. Mario Andretti. Oh, tell me why. Uh, he's won about everything there is to win. Indianapolis 500, Daytona 500, Formula One Championship, Tony Flowers Le Mans. He's covered every venue of racing and succeeded. Yeah, no, you're, you know, Mario Andretti from the world of auto racing, incredible. And, Mike, I just found out something about my uh, producer, Samantha. She is apparently a gearhead because you, you are the winner of our Palermo's Pizza Prize package for today, okay, with Mario Andretti. All right. All right, thanks for the call. All right. I pre- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Enjoy that. Uh, let's talk to Steve in Mequon. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um um, I'm going to preface this with it by saying I grew up a Cubs fan, and um, when the Brewers moved to town, and became a Brewers fan real quick. But Bob Gibson is by far, I think, the greatest pitcher and the greatest athlete of all time of the Cardinals. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember. I mean, I started, I mean, I remember Gibson in his heyday, and what was it, like 64? I was, It might have been 64, I think, that the Cardinals won the World Series. And, and this, you yeah. you just, you did not want to be a batter digging in against Bob Gibson because he'd be throwing at your head. And it, this is the day before, you know, people wore the batting helmets and stuff like that. It was yeah. just a completely different world. And and Gibson, apparently, everybody, everything I ever read about him said the guy, an amazing athlete, and he just kind of took no prisoners. You know, if you were digging in there he was throwing yeah. at you yeah yeah even the manager the, the coach would never go and get the ball from him because he'd stare down the coach and his you know it was his game <laughs> yeah. and you know do or die he was out there and it was it was him and he was going the distance right oh exactly thanks and, and that and that's back in the day when pitchers went the distance bob gibson was great uh, a lot of texts kobe bryant um people mentioning and that's that would be as well here here's I think if I had to answer it, it would either be Mar- it would either be Michael Jordan or a name that a number of the texters are bringing up, Muhammad Ali. I think um, Muhammad Ali in his prime was just um, amazing, and he he dominated his sport in a way that I, I don't know that anybody else did. The, the problem with Muhammad Ali, and this happens sometimes with athletes, somebody said Manny Pacquiao too, people stay too long on the stage. And it's important, I think, to know that there's, you know, no nothing runs forever, and sometimes it's important to move on. And Ali, I, I think, I mean, I can remember at the end of his career, and he was fighting a bunch of stumble bums, and he was losing to some of these people. And in, in some respects, I think it, it kind of hurt his legacy. You would have liked to have seen him quit sooner. But Muhammad Ali in his prime, man, that, that's, that's the goat for me. Okay, that's it for this week. we got another Pop Culture Corner coming up next week. Thank you for participating. When we come back, let's find out what John and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Thanks for participating in this week's Pop Culture Corner. Stay tuned next week for another pop culture topic.